on from the bearded woman conversation to uh, to Exodus. Today we're in Exodus 16, starting in verse 21. And we've seen hints of this already, the seventh day rest idea. But here we have some additional uh, instruction information on it. And, and we're looking at the first Sabbath laws of the Bible. The first Sabbath laws of the Bible. So let's look at that. Exodus 16. Uh, 21. Starting in verse 21. <clears throat> now, remember last time... What, what had happened? What, what have we gone over? What is it? What is it? They, God had provided manna. They called it manna. What is it? Um, we talked about uh, how they... There's no... There's, all we have is comparison. Nobody's ever seen manna. It's a, the bread from heaven. And there was a problem with them. They, they did something. They gathered too much. They gathered too much. Yeah. And what happened... And it got... It bred worms. It bred worms. Very nice. It stanketh. And Moses was angry. All right. And, and, and we talked about that last week. All right. Verse 21. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna forty years, till they came to a habitable habitable, habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And just in case you're wondering, an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Verse 21. I love this, the way it starts out. Morning by morning. Morning by morning they gathered it. Why? Um, 
Notice the obedience here regarding, we just went over this whole thing uh, of them disobeying. And now we have an episode of obedience. Morning by morning, they're gathering this bread from heaven. Uh, literally in the text, it's in the morning, in the morning. We know that repetition emphasizes this ongoing obedience by, by the people. They collected manna each and every morning. And the existence of a Sabbath rest is assumed here. We'd already read about it earlier in the chapter. It's assumed, and we discussed last week that it has been in the fabric of creation, part of the nature of God since creation, right? Genesis 2. Talk about that. Why would he call it a holy day? And what does holy mean? Holy means set apart. Okay. So why, why call this a holy day? What are they doing? Resting. They're resting. Why is that holy? That kind of lazy? It's, it's setting it apart. It's showing a distinction between hard work and not hard work. Okay. So it, it forces them to contrast the difference and appreciate both. Okay. Anyone else have any thoughts? Why, why does it need to be holy? Why is rest, a day of rest, set apart as holy? Why don't we just call it a little vacay? Does it have anything to do with that's what God did on the seventh day? And Absolutely. Because of his nature, he's, he said it was good. Right. Therefore, he's given them a, uh, an analogy. So the, the setting apart of the Sabbath is rooted and grounded in the very nature of God. And in a good gift that he's given. Therefore, we set it apart. He's commanded us to set it. Is that? Okay. Holy means set apart, unique, special. And, it, and again, it reflects the account of creation. Genesis 2-3, we see that. Something hit me this week. Something struck me this week as I was going through this part of the, of the chapter. What was cursed because of Adam's sin? What else? I'm sorry? Everything. Every, well, yes. Do you remember the language that was used? Turn to Genesis 3. Look at verse 17 through 19. He's talking to Adam here. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife... Just let that sink in. And have eaten the tree of which I commanded you. <laughs> you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. Say that ten times fast. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So by the sweat of their face, by the sweat of their brow, they're gathering. Even this gift of God that is provided day by day, morning by morning, they're gathering this bread, the bread of heaven it's called. But not on the seventh day. That's God's gift to them. It's relief from the curse, right? 
He provides the bread, the double portion, so that they're not gathering it. They're not feeling the effect of the curse of sin on the seventh day. It's a double portion. It's rest because of God's provision. And in in preparing for the Sabbath, notice what what he says. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil. The the language here implies a total freedom in how you want to use his gift in preparing for the rest. There's there's freedom in the, the work and the preparation for resting on the Sabbath. And then he says, lay some of it, lay it aside to be kept. That's the same command that's given at the Passover in 12.6. What does that tell you? When he says to the Passover lamb, the redemption sacrifice, lay some of this, lay it aside, separate out a lamb to be used for this. And he says the same thing every week on the sixth day. They're also laying aside some of a portion of the double portion for Sabbath. What what does that convey to you? You see similarities there. <coughs> Maybe you don't. What was the question again? The question is, do you see a pattern and why is there a pattern between what we see in the Passover and what we see morning by morning and then on the sixth day leading into the Sabbath? Whenever they kill the lamb, yes. But remember he said, set apart a lamb. Set aside a lamb. For that time of killing and eating. So there's a, there's a, there's a culling out, a setting aside. And there's the same kind of idea here with, with the manna on the sixth day. They're to set aside enough for the Sabbath. It's a setting aside for a purpose. For the future. Right. set us aside and had words planned in advance for us to do and you know we don't know about the lamb doesn't know what its purpose is in the future um, and we we set aside the food we set aside the lamb for the future sure. and for honoring God by not preparing the food on the Sabbath by having it already prepared and we honor God by sacrificing that lamb and by doing He's provided the redemption in the Passover lamb. He's provided a mode of rest by the double portion on the sixth day. And yet, we are to do things with his provision, right? Does that... Right, very good. And, and what, does, what does that sound like to you, those who read Philippians? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling... Because it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. As he provides the new heart that loves him, wants to, that yearns to be holy as he is holy, we're to work in that because he's working in us. I guess the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't stop with the cross. It doesn't stop, well, it doesn't stop with being justified. When we use the $10 word. It doesn't stop there. We're required, we have to be constantly 
um, with a focus in mind to, to, to be obedient, to, cult, to cultivate hearts of trust in God that he's going to provide on the seventh day. Right? That, that it's not going to go wormy. Wormy. All right. Here's a, here's a, this is a nerd question, but I bring it up because, well, I'm a nerd. Um, were they to cook everything on the sixth day? He says, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Were they to cook everything on the sixth day? No. I think so, because he says, eat it today. For today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find anything you like. Eat it? That mean cook it. There's two interpretations here. Is the reason I bring this up, and one has effect. I think later on, the Pharisees. I think took the. I'm sorry, Annie. The Pharisees <laughs> took the first interpretation. It means you cook everything on that day because you're to do no work on the Sabbath. Um, the second interpretation is boiler bake only the the manna that you need for the sixth day, and then the uncooked manna is not contaminated on the Sabbath. Which is to lay aside. The law here, the second in the second interpretation says that the law had nothing to do with cooking on the Sabbath. And I actually kind of favor the second because it feeds into the New Testament understanding later on that the That's what I'm talking about. Wait, so which which view are you in favor of? I'm in favor of cooking on the Sabbath. And see, I tell my family because they want to eat off of me every Sabbath. I'm like, you're going to get one Sabbath off cook, and the other three, I'm off to rest. Well, <laughs> it doesn't say who is to cook the manna. Oh, come on. <laughs> well. <laughs> All right. If you want to be that way. Lay it aside, literally, uh, so they rested it until morning, and that, and that save it. Save it for the Sabbath um, it also means to, to rest. So you got verses uh, 23 through 25. Um, you know, all those left over lay aside to be kept or to save. It, it's literally to, to rest till the morning. Um, and in verses 23 through 25, we see the, the first instance, instances of the noun for Sabbath, the Sabbat, Shabbat, however you say that. It's a, we understand the principle. We've had the principle until now, but now the, 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 the actual specific name of it is not revealed until now. All right. The formula again, six days, but on the seventh day, you see that formula again and again. All right. Have we gotten to Sinai yet? No? Not so much? What strikes you about that? What is he revealing before Sinai? His expectations. On what? Okay. And specifically here, what do we have he's revealing? Sabbath. 
Sabbath rest. That's the only law we have so far, right? Passover, rest. Right? And this is all before Sinai. I can't remember anything else. Can you remember anything else? I'm running through. I, no. Passover and rest before Sinai. What does that tell you? The rest that he provides is fundamental to the response he requires. They're going into this with an understanding that this is a God who saves and this is a God who provides rest from the curse. And then he requires all the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws and all that stuff later on. But, but he starts from a position of where we are, who we are, and with him. Redeemed and resting in who he is. But there's always, uh, it's always those kind of people here we see in 27 through 30. How, how many were disobedient here in 27 through 30? Some. Some of them. And that tells us how many? We know it's less than all, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a general subject here. We can't determine the number, number, but Ezekiel seems to think it was a lot. In Ezekiel 20, 11 through 13, it says it was a great um, violation or a great uh, uh, um, apostasy to the, to the Sabbath. Great, well, that, that's the question. I, some indication, some scholars think it's great in number. But certainly the violation alone would be great because it's something he told them to do. What does that tell you? This response of God. I mean, this is God talking. This isn't Moses saying, what have you done? You're getting me in trouble. This is God directly talking. What does that tell you about God's view of violation of this Sabbath rest command? Sorry? God's view of it. God's view of it, yeah. Nah, I give somebody to do with it what they want. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. We show our love for him by him. Okay. Clearly people have an interest in him. They're not trusting him. Kind of silly, isn't it? I mean, they've seen all this stuff. They've seen the, the bitter water made sweet. They've seen the, the Red Sea. They've seen all the plagues. They've got morning by morning being provided this bread. It strikes me that if you gathered twice as much on the sixth day and you baked and you boiled it, then you'd already have it for the seventh day. So why go out and gather more? It's the idea of what God's given me is not enough. Mm. Well, they're working pretty hard here. I mean, I don't know how much Omer is, but it's, you know, a little bit more than Ephah. Is that what it is? You've got your study Bibles. He takes this very seriously, doesn't he? He takes this command to rest very seriously. And this is not a throwaway gift, take it or leave it. This is something he's commanded them to do. You rest. Um... Look at, uh, let me see here. Look at, uh, 
let's see, on the, how, this is 20, look at 28. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Does that language sound familiar to you? Yes, sir. To, to what? Well, that's true. Well, we, didn't we just see that with uh, the Egyptians? Okay. They, you know, God told them in advance what was going to happen, and then they did it ten times against each right. one of the plagues. And it was like, but didn't the people of Israel say, how long are we going to remain in slavery? Okay. Okay. God's... Okay. That language is used, and in, 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 yes, but that language is also used to Pharaoh, right? In chapter, was it 10? He's now charging his own people with the same kind of language that he charged Pharaoh. What does that tell you? What does it say about the people? They're stubborn. Stubborn in, in what way? I'm going to do it my own way. I hear the word of God. I hear his instruction. But I'm going to do it my way. It'll work out this time. Right? This is again, we'll, we'll try this again a different way. They're stubbornly disregarding the word of God. And what happens if this continues? Has he already told them what's going to happen? Chapter 15, verse 26. Has he already told them what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Throw out, throw out random sites and just see if everybody. They're going to Canaan. They're going to Canaan, but what else has he told them will happen if they continue in this kind of? I will bring plagues on you like I did the Egyptians. Does he take this seriously? This rest command. Now I'm kind of holding back today because we're going to be hitting Exodus 20, and we're going to spend a lot of time on the Ten Commandments because nobody does. So we're going to, and I say nobody. Many people do not. Some people do not. Um, but I want to spend a lot of time. And a lot of those, uh, they are, all of them, rooted and grounded in the nature of Christ and, and, and that whole, and, and I want to go there, but I want to kind of go there in, in that context. But, um, but if it continues, he's already promised they'll receive the same plagues and diseases of, of Egypt. He's speaking to them and telling them. When God rested... A quote. I meant to write this down, but I didn't do it. When God rested, was was He tired? When we talk about the rest of God, what are we talking about? What does that mean? What state is that? Finished, completed. Finished, completed. Contentment. Contentment. There's a peace in the heart. Of contentment, it's good. Rest, contentment. And what he's calling his people to do is to be content. This is a day of joy, a day of celebration of what he's done. Did they celebrate the Sabbath in Egypt? Did Pharaoh allow rest? No. Yet, here it seems as if some of the Hebrews see the Sabbath as, as kind of an oppressive thing. Right? God's providing this rest that they've never had in, the, in, in their existence. And 
they're they're seeing it as oppressive. I got to go get more bread here that God rains down from heaven miraculously, and I don't know. What does that tell you? What's the question in the heart if you go out and violate God's law to go get more bread that He's raining down from heaven? Just you know, and He says, "I'm just going to be on the seventh day," but they go out anyway. What does that tell you? They don't believe what He said. They don't believe that it won't rain again on the seventh day, or they don't believe that it's going to rain again on Monday or Sunday. How that worked out? The first day. Is it going to keep going? Do we trust Him to be faithful? Right? Is that the issue? So He does not... uh, It's not like you, you violated my law that I randomly picked out of the sky and threw down at you and therefore I'm mad because I'm, you know, a dictator kind of thing. It's a, a reproach to his character and his nature, what they're doing. All right, look at verses 31 through 36. We'll go, we'll go over this real quickly. Um, there's more description of the manna in 31. It's still a comparison. The added thing is, here is it tasted like a wafer made of honey. And I, I think that's really cool. Um, they're directed to do something. What are they directed to do? Keep an omer. Keep an omer remembrance. for remembrance. Where are they supposed to put this omer of remembrance? In the Ark of the Covenant. The of the Covenant. Has that been built yet? Nope. nope. Uh, they're to keep it for the presence of the Lord. That usually refers to the tabernacle. Has that been built yet? Nope. What is going on here? Because it says they did it. How are they doing it if it's not been built yet? Here, Moses, you keep this. <laughs> yeah. It's in his pocket. What is going on here? Place it before the Lord, it says. And it's, it's out of date. It's out of sequence here. The priesthood doesn't even exist yet. I mean, Aaron hasn't had the priestly robes and the whole thing, which will be fun when we get to that. I'm not going to wear one, I promise. But, but um, no, I'm good. We'll do that when we get there. <laughs> have to do that. I think it's going to happen. You will, really? It means I have to give over my sizes, and that wouldn't be friendly at all. I had a joke with Tammy. I was going to be. I was going to have forty by forty. That was the was trying to get to that. Got to have goals, and I reached it in spades. Um, All right. When Moses is writing Exodus, he inserts this this remembrance passage to show that the Hebrews obeyed God's command that was given to them at the provision of the manna. Why why keep this? Why does he say keep this? A day later, right? They've already forgotten. So you have this omer of manna to to remind just them? Everybody. All their generations. All their generations. Now, if it goes wormy after a day, or whatever it was, yeah, how are they going to keep one omer in the ark 
throughout their generations. Because this doesn't go on forever. It goes on for 40 years and then stops, right? A perpetual, miraculous thing throughout their generations of remembrance. Does that seem odd to you? Well, everybody compares it to everything. Well, go check out the priest. Have the priest bring it out for you. He'll show you. You know, this is what it looked like. This is what it is. Don't taste it because we don't. But but look at it. Yeah. It's it. Um, what they're doing is they're giving credit to God by doing this because they're showing, hey, God did this, and so we're placing this aside mm-hmm. for the purpose of giving Him the credit and glory for mm-hmm. doing what He's done. Here is an object lesson in faithfulness of God. Here it is. It's a teaching tool. And, and Moses puts this here, not only as the teaching tool of remembering God's faithfulness, but also he's teaching the faithfulness to obey what he said. Because he puts the command here and says, oh yeah, we did this. When, we, when the priesthood and all that stuff, this is what we did. We put this in the tabernacle. Once the ark was built, we did it. So two things going on here, the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of the Hebrews to obey what God has said in this instance. Because you, know, you want to record those because they're so few and far between. Um, they ate this manna for 40 years and it stopped when they ate from the, from the land of Canaan when they, when they finally were crossing over. And that's Joshua 5.12 which we probably will never get to. Think about that. For 40 years, morning by morning gathering, how odd it must have been when it stopped. They go out Looking over at Canaan, looking at the Jordan, and wait, the dew, the, there's no manna. What's the deal here? Well, we ate the grapes and stuff. What an interesting thing. Uh, he provided for them for 40 years. Not a one-off meal. Not, hey, this is a week of this kind of cool stuff we'll celebrate and you guys go find some cactus to eat the rest of the time. He provided for them for 40 years. It was a continual feast while they were in the wilderness. A constant care of God's providence. And that went on even during their murmuring and complaining. Even during some pretty horrific sin that we're going to run up on here in a little bit. The manna kept coming. The manna was provided. Even in the midst of their sin. It didn't stop. A perpetual testimony to His care for his people. But it came with requirements, didn't it? To gather and rest. So here's my thought on that. Well, a thought. The law of God is rest to us. Does that seem odd? I mean, here's this requirement, and the requirement is be joyful, be thankful, remember. These are the things that he's provided. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God doesn't require obedience for the sake of the rules. Our obedience is for our good as well as his glory. The two are not mutually exclusive. Why would that be? Why would obeying God's law be good for us? And not just something that, well, we just got to do this because you know, he's God and he'll zap us. I mean, he will, but. Because he made us. 
He knows what we need. Because why? Because he made us. Because he made us. Okay? I was going to say, the bigger picture is that being in Jesus is good for us. Mm. Is that obeying God's law is ultimately faith. Mm-hmm. Believing that Jesus, what he did on the cross, is, you know, right. applies to us. And that's good for us because our biggest, the, the biggest problem man has is a sinful heart. And so that's what we really need. That's what's good for us. What is it about the law that leads us to rest? Okay. You ever get the idea that some people just live for chaos? Just, just how, you know, things are going well. We've got to fix that. Um, and, and we do things that just invite turmoil. The law of God brings peace. It brings contentment. Um, I, I read a post, I can't remember who put it out, this past week. I think it was Colleen Schulenberger posted a, a quote by Vody Bauckham, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but he, he basically said, dating is training for divorce. <laughs> you know? Um, dating is training for divorce. There, there's a patient faithfulness um, and, and being content in what God has already provided for us. Right? The rest of God is peaceful, not chaotic. Turn to Philippians 4, 11-13. Somebody read Philippians 4, 11-13 for me, and then someone else, if you could, 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. Philippians 4, 11-13. And then someone else, if you could get 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. Philippians. Great, thanks. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Good. Who's got? Uh, who's got First Timothy six six through eight? Okay, great, thanks. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Good. Now, let me, let me read to you Hebrews 13. Oh, I'll say 5, although there's a lot in context here. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you I will never leave you nor forsake you do we see that in the morning by morning provision of manna I will never leave you nor forsake you do we believe that is that enough that God is present Faithful to us. In 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 I hear it. In singleness, in singleness, is his faithfulness 
with us enough? Is it enough? Um, what would it look like if we acted as if it were enough? People would start believing us. And why do you say that? Because uh, they don't already. No, no. I remember a quote that said, "I'll start believing that there is a God when Christians start acting like there is one." We acted like God's grace was enough that we actually trusted God and have the faith to act upon it. Our faith, because faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. Um, A true faith will produce works. So if we don't have works, we don't have faith. If we do have works, then our faith is real and it's visible and people can't say you didn't do something that you obviously did. Mm. People will look at you and realize that you've got something real in your life and they don't have anything real in their life that we have. Do we have the faith to work for contentment? That's a constant struggle. It doesn't stop when you have, you know, wife and kids. It, it doesn't stop. There, there's a constant battle for contentment. Um, cultivate it now. And rest in it now. The, the, the idea of rest, and we'll get to this when we get to the, the fourth commandment, is, is the, the, the idea of... Um, not just on one day of the week. It, it, it's, a, it's an attitude that he's required of us, a, a, an understanding throughout all of life of, of, of being at, at peace with him, being at peace with each other, being content with what he's provided, at whatever that is, because it's all temporary, what we have. Right? Okay. Any other comments? I was going to say about the, the two laws that he's revealed so far is the Passover and um, Sabbath rest. And mm-hmm. Both of those are just huge pictures of Christ because mm-hmm. it's only because of the blood of the Lamb that is smeared above the door that uh, the angel of death passed over him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like anything else to do, it was just because of the, the blood of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. And then the Sabbath rest, um, it's the man that comes down, it's just it's, it's nothing that we do, it's just God provides it to us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you said the double portion to take care of the Sabbath day, it made me think of Rock of Ages where it says, um, The double cure. From thy wounded side, which will be the sin, be of sin, the double cure, mm-hmm. save from wrath and make you pure. Yeah. So it doesn't just save us from the wrath, but it makes us pure. It right. Makes righteousness to us. And then the next verse goes on to say, Not the labors of my hand, then can't fulfill the law's demands. Um, good my zeal and respite, no good my tears forever flow. All for sin did not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Thou alone, yeah. It's, just, it's him that's doing it. He has to redeem us. And he has to give us rest. Both are grounded in the nature and work of, of God. And that's where the faith is. Do we trust him to do those things? Good. Yes, ma'am. I heard it described as, um, on the Sabbath, that what you rest from... Um, whatever it is, you're doing less than you can do, just like this, um, well, an obedient like, choice to be humble because mm-hmm. you know that you can go out and work for whatever it is, but God is ultimately the one who provides it. So it's mm-hmm. God reminding you when you're obe- being obedient and humbling yourself so you can be reminded that 
He's the one who ultimately is provided. So we're content in our dependence. Is that is that what you're saying? Good. That's good. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. One th- I don't know. This might be really redundant, but we do need to remember that uh, Jesus fulfilled the law, and therefore we're not bound to the law. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that just like in Romans it says, uh, you, know, you should not um, sin just because grace may abound. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we're not bound to uh, the same law that the we like said back then. And that's, as a sort, as a good, source of our standing before God. It's good um, to study uh, biblical law, mm-hmm. thing, but when it comes down to it, we're not bound to the same law that they were. It's the fulfillment of it, but not the end of the law. Right. The law yes. on our hearts. Right. That, that is true, but at the same time, uh, we we are not bound to do the same sacrifices and keep all of the commandments just like they did. Christ did fulfill the sacrificial system. Um, and and the, this yeah all the civil laws and all of that. The but the moral law is still in effect. I mean, you, you see that, and that'll be an interesting discussion when we get to the Ten Commandments. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to discuss it if it's even more interesting. Yes, sir. I was just going to say that. Um, Trying to allow Christ to be, uh, you know, His grace is sufficient. That's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you start really looking into your own life and you see how little faith you actually have. Mm-hmm. Because Christ being sufficient, every day I wake up and it's I'm back to the five senses. I'm back to the flesh. I'm back to the physical mm-hmm. every single day. And that's that's all that we know. It's the Spirit of God that dwells in us. It changes our our minds, and it's it's Romans twelve one and two the mm-hmm. renewing day by day and the washing of the of the word that truly changes us. And it's you know with man it's impossible with God it, it's with man it's impossible with God it's possible. All things so. possible, yeah, yeah. So the so the the law that he has written. That is rooted and grounded in who He is, His nature. That we are, if we're born of God, we're to reflect His nature, and that involves obeying the moral law. I mean, I'm, because of Christ, doesn't give us a license to to murder. That's the key. Is that, that it's not the law for the law's sake. Mm-hmm. It's the law because the law reflects who God is. Mm-hmm. And then morally, we understand who God is. The more we understand who we are both as sinners and as redeemed saints, um, we understand what he's done for us, which mm-hmm. gives us a heart of thankfulness and gives us that contentment when we see who he is and who he has redeemed us to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think the, the law, in a sense, was to show us how much we lack mm-hmm. and how we can never keep it. Paul calls it a tutor to bring us to Christ. And, and, and to show us what Christ, to remind us of what he mm-hmm. has fulfilled in the law. That he lived he the life the we should us. have lived and died the death we should have died. I mean, he, he, he does fulfill it as, as our head. And when we're living with that in, in focus, then we can live a life mm-hmm. of contentment mm-hmm. with whatever comes. Yeah. When we're called to love him, 
so when we're walking in that love, loving him, loving our neighbor, then the things of the law that we're supposed to obey just come more naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and under the new covenant, we, we're, the laws are in our hearts, and we're given the, what we need to fulfill or to carry out the law. Mm-hmm. Um, Old Testament or Old Covenant, they didn't have what they needed to carry out the law. They were given the law, but they, didn't, they couldn't do it. Right. And when we get to Leviticus, we'll talk about how he, what's been fulfilled and what is still required. Which, which, which I can't wait. Um, we'll get into some of that with, it, with Exodus. Yes. Well, when I'm, when I'm 90, we'll stop. Um, you'll have to just... When I stop making sense, just tell me to go on somewhere else and get somebody else. All right. Um, I think I think uh, I think we probably ought to dismiss because the law of the numb rear end is probably in effect right now. So we'll probably move along. I'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the words of the psalmist that says, "Oh, how I love your law." And your law teaches us our massive need for dependence upon you. And if that's where it sends us to you, then that's where we want to go. Where else would we go? Where else would bring us the, uh, the kind of joy we crave, the kind of peace we crave, the contentment that we that we desperately long for. We search everywhere else for all things and and other people and ideas and politics and, and all this other stuff that flits around in our world that we try to grab onto for contentment and peace and it all is pointless. Because in you rest rests our rest. So God, we pray that you would draw us again to Christ, draw us to love him by being obedient to what he commands. And we know that we can't do it, but you're working in us, and so we crave your spirit to move in us and to give us wisdom and discernment in how to apply your law to our lives. We thank you for the the two laws we've already seen here in Exodus, one of Passover, where we are the picture of Christ in our redemption, and the law of rest and the Sabbath, picture of Christ sustaining the dependence of his people. We pray that you would continue to drive us to the cross. May we find comfort and contentment there. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.